We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our August breakfast with Dusty Otis. Dusty is a pastor, a coach, and a friend of the Brotherhood. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. A couple years ago, I would have just jumped up here, okay? Not so much anymore. Um, man, Johnny talking about us going to Detroit, I would say uh, it is the Northeast. I didn't think it was the Northeast either, but we are in the Eastern time zone. I, that still, I still struggle with that because I still consider and compare to Tulsa time. And Well, it's only 5 a.m. in Tulsa, you know? And that's easy for me to get another hour of sleep, if I'm being honest. And so uh, being there, he's, he's exactly right. It's, super, it's a super tough place. And before I go any further, I just want to say that, that Johnny Hampton... I think this is the first breakfast you've been at that I've been here. And Hampton Creative started working on One City before I ever did. And he called me. If there's an example that you can see in the room today of what, it, what it's like to walk with somebody, it's him. It's him. And we constantly compare about the people that are in our lives that we're talking to, that we're walking with, and, and all the things. But Johnny came and started walking with me first. And it's amazing the, the people that God will call into your life and call to walk with you if you just let him. If you just let him. And me and Johnny didn't have a lot in common. He dresses a lot better than me. He has way better style. I'm only wearing this shirt because it's something I think he would wear. Okay? <laughs> and so, um, Johnny, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I've never got to do this. I love you, man. He calls me. He checks on me. He texts me. He's one of three people who do that, who say, hey man, how are you? It's not metrics driven, it's how are you? And man, when we do that with each other, guys, that takes the mountain that you feel like you're carrying as a man and it makes it a lot smaller. And so I just wanna show you, tell you that I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yeah. The greatest thing I'm ever gonna be is a husband and a dad. Um, I said I in that, and that's why I titled this, uh, putting the I in who you are. I never took ownership of being a husband. I never took ownership of being a dad until about three years into my marriage when I realized I was walking all over my wife and I wasn't being a good dad to my son. And, um, and inside of all that, I think we all progress, and we're all a work in progress. We're all a work in progress, and so just get better today. Just get better today, right? And so... In all of that, I realized that um, I was a workaholic and I wasn't healthy. And man, I could just run and I could bulldoze. As a matter of fact, one time in this room, I got called a bulldozer. Dusty, you're just a bulldozer. And I took pride in that. Freaking A, I am. I will get it done. <laughs> Loved it. And that same phrase got told to me in a session that broke my heart. And I realized I didn't give a dang. I didn't give two cents about people. Are we getting it done? How good is it? Could be better. It could be better. Why don't we do this? How come we're not doing that? And I couldn't celebrate. I couldn't see wins. I couldn't see, I couldn't see anything good. And the problem was the people. <laughs> the reason we sucked, the reason I sucked was the people. And when I realized that I would walk past you intentionally and not care about you, I could believe the gospel for you all day long. But I wasn't owning it for myself. I knew scriptures. 
I knew exactly what to say when I stepped into a room or into a moment with you or anybody else who came by me, but I wasn't owning it. I possessed it. I possessed it all day long. Possession's nine-tenths of the law, right? I possessed it every day, all day. You could see it. I could, I could actually, I could say it to you. You'd be like, wow, that's really, that's really good. That's really good. And I came to a moment in my life where uh, a really bright light got shined on me. My dad left my mom. My dad left my mom. And he was the one kind of guy that, that taught me everything I know about character, integrity. And all of a sudden, the guy who had taught me everything that I know or that I knew about being who I am was gone. And he wasn't embodying any of it. I was confused. I was pissed. I was a lot of things. And about that time, we started transitioning here. So my spiritual father transitioned out of my life as well. And I really had to get to a place where I figured out who the heck Dusty Otis was. And I had to take some ownership for my actions. And I had to take ownership for my faith. And so if you're taking notes today, your faith is your faith. If you're taking notes, it's your faith. It's your relationship. It's your eternity. It's your eternity. There's two parts to every one of these stories. And I'm just kind of going to go from the, the Christian side of it. But as men, if we don't take ownership, because the great thing is this, I said I wasn't a very good husband. The reality is this, we love I when we're taking credit. I love I, you dang right, I, I did that, I did that, I was part of that, I did that, I did that. When it comes time to taking responsibility, the I shifts to blame or excuse, right? And I had this big ship analogy, we all know what a ship is, right? You're the captain of your own ship. I was gonna tell you to write down ownership, Make the I capital, make ship capital, circle I, okay? You have to put the I back in your life. And not just when it comes to getting stuff done. Not just when it comes to getting stuff done. And so all that to say, we've got to get our ship together, okay? Our ship together. And when you're, when you're leading a ship, the, the funny thing is, is, as long as you're driving, you feel pretty good, right? But there's cargo going on, and life is throwing you curveballs, and you can make excuses, or you can actually say, hey, wait a second, and you can put it where it needs to go. And prioritizing your life is one of the biggest and best things you're ever going to do, and the head of that is Christ. And so if you don't know Jesus, that's step one today. There's a lot assumed in what, I, there's a lot assumed in what I'm going to talk about today. And the reality is this, that Jesus is on the throne, Jesus saves all, Period. And so I come into this room assuming that we all believe that, okay? That the answer, that where we go, where we're rooted is Jesus, okay? So as we go on, I want to tell you a little bit about Detroit. Detroit is um, 686,000 people. It was once 7 million people. 80% of Detroit is abandoned. The woman who does the fixer-upper show, Rehab Addict, she doesn't even live there. She lives in L.A., Okay? So if you can make 30 grand in Detroit, you're out. And there are so many issues. And the best way to describe it is when the auto industry started and it was Ford versus Chevy versus Chrysler versus Dodge, that still exists today. It's self-segregation. It's every man for himself. It's 80% post-Christian. So when you say church, there's two, two things people are going to respond to with that. Been there, done that, or they've been hurt, so they're going to throw you the bird. Okay, and so in all of that, Detroit is pretty tough, and 
and we've been in that. And I can tell you about all the, all the depressing, like hard times. Paul said we're pressed, pressed, crushed, but we're not struck down. We're not destroyed, right? And so then it's leaning in. And so at the first of the year in January, COVID wasn't over for us, but I was pretending that it was. And a lot of our state is still shut down and, and our governor can't make up her mind on what she's going to do or not do. And so um, it's really hard to, to lean into a, even a one-on-one conversation. And so in January, we decided we're going all in. It's, we've been through hell and it's been hard, but let's refresh, let's restart, new beginning. We're gonna go all in and we are going to, um, let's just see what God does with what we have in us or what we have left. Well, I, it took me until June 6th to realize that when I said that, what I really said is, this is our last year here. We are done. And I could tell you all the things that, that are wrong and, and all the reasons that we should leave. And, and the reality is this, it's, um, there's always an opportunity. And what I was doing with the ownership of what God had called me to do was making excuses and casting blame and doing anything but, but seeing opportunities. So it was, well, it's, it's corrupt, it's political, it's, there's no strong leadership here, there's no male leadership, there's nobody to go to. Well, you gotta fill out this, you know, if I wanna hand out Bibles, if I wanna hand out Bibles, I have to go and get a permit. That permit has to be approved. If that's approved, I have to go to council. If the city council approves it, then I can do it. So the only thing that's really led in my community is what the people above me allow. And so, and Heather, my wife, she says, uh, well, we can't force it on people. That's outside the character of God. I mean, she's 100% right. And so then when we sat down, so in June, I realized, wait a second, we never committed to anything. We've just been looking for open doors. And so June 6th, D-Day, we decided we're all in. And we've been online for 70-something weeks now, and I don't want to do that, okay? I, I hate it. I'm talking to a camera and it sucks because I need, I need people. I do this for people. And when COVID hit, I think that we all have been part of these conversations. I went from community relationships to being a telemarketer. I'm not a telemarketer, but I was being forced to be a telemarketer. And when you talk to people about their past, what you, when you come out of COVID, there's like two responses, right? Hey man, how are you? Man, we were doing great. Things were awesome. Then COVID. And there's one of two things that happened after that. And I realized that I was the negative. And I started making excuses. And, and because of it, we're, and the guys who are successful are the ones who go, but, but we're doing this instead, but I chose to, or we're here. And they saw an opportunity through it. Aaron Davis is here. He said something unintentionally to me. Um, when it first started, he said, man, I'm just trying not to waste this. I'm not trying to be ugly. I don't want to waste a pandemic. There was an opportunity for me to reevaluate and reassess and get my crap together again on a different level with different everything, right? And it, the, listen, I'm not downplaying anything about what's been happening in our country or with sickness. I hate all of it. I hate all of it. But I think we all had an opportunity as men to be alone for the first time. And I've been alone locked in a basement for a super long time. And I got to the point where I was, where I was upset. I was frustrated. I was, I was, I've been every emotion that you can think of. And uh, I've said every word that you can say in a basement by myself. Okay. 
There's only one person listening, right? And so um, I wanted to tell you about just a few of the wins that we've had there because I think they're gonna speak to you. Now, I have some pastoral wins. I'm not gonna tell you pastoral wins today, okay? There is a Muslim guy who knows Jesus now because we went. I'm not gonna tell you Andrew's story because it's spiritual. It's a spiritual win. It's an amazing story. There's a guy who was an atheist. His name is Jamie. He's now going to a Bible study. I don't know if he's saved, but he's now going to a Bible study because we're there. I want to tell you about a football coach that's uh, in the community where I live. I'm not assuming that, that he'll hear this, but um, when I first got there, they start, these guys start inviting me to go to a bar. Hey, Dusty, you should come to the bar with us. And I'm like, it's a birthday. Like, what are we celebrating? No, no, we, this is what we do. We drink, okay? And I'm like, I'm good, man. Because here, if I go to the bar, I get fired, okay? Here, if I go to the bar, who's gonna see me? Here, if I go to the bar, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? The perception, the perception, right? And so I didn't go. And I come home, I say, hey, I told Heather, I said, hey, uh, coach invited me to come to the bar with him tonight. And she's like, you need to go. I'm like, heck, I do. Heck, I've, I've been there, Okay? And so, um, so I don't go. And week two comes, and this is this, they do this Friday nights after the game. Friday nights after the game, they go to the bar. Home or away. And by the way, in Detroit, a road game is only 20 minutes away, so it's really nice. Um, week two comes, they invite me, I don't go. Week three comes, they invite me, I don't go. Week four comes, they don't invite me. And I felt like God slapped me right in the face. And so I'm like, man, they, they didn't, they, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out of the circle. And I'm just volunteering, so it's not like they're paying me a ton of money. And so uh, I get, I meet with Heather at halftime, and, and I say, hey, I said, I'm, I'm going to go to the bar tonight. And she's like, what? And I'm like, they didn't invite me, and, and I got to go back, like I got to go. And she's like, well, you should. And so I go. Now, I mess up their whole seating arrangement. I'm not familiar with how the bar scene works and, you know, we all have the seat that we sit in and, and so I go in and I don't know, but unintentionally I sit next to the defensive coordinator. This is like a two-part story for you. I sit next to the defensive coordinator who I'm not supposed to be in this seat, but they invited me, kind of. And so I said, hey man, I said, how's, it, how's everything going? And he just, he's had a few. And in Michigan, when you've had a few, you tend to be real honest You tend to be really honest. And he's, these guys are all unchurched, okay? And so he says, uh, he says uh, well, I'm dealing with some things with my son. I, both of my sons, they have, they have porn problems, and I just, I, man, I really don't know what to do. And he goes on and on. I'm able to talk with him and, and, and work through all of that with him and walk with him, and, and it's, it's been amazing. His name's Jeff. It's been amazing with Jeff. And he's becoming a better father. He's Catholic, so he goes to church a couple times a year. No offense to you Catholic guys, okay? And so here's the greater thing. Two years later, two and a half years later, I get a phone call from the head coach, and he says, hey, I'm a fraud. He says, I'm fake, I'm a phony. I've been cheating on my wife. I'm going through divorce. I don't like the person that I am. And he said, uh, can you help me? Can you help me? I said, absolutely. 
I said, where do you want to meet? He wants to meet at the bar, okay? <laughs> now, because I'd been going to the bar every Friday and, and every Monday when it's not football season and sitting with these guys and drinking mass amounts of caffeine, mass amounts of caffeine, um, he wanted to talk. And so I meet him in the next community over, okay? So we're not seen in our community at the bar because we're talking about something serious. And I believe in being early, so I show up and I get him his Michelob Ultra and I get him his fireball shot that he does, what he likes to, how he likes to start. And, and I have in, my, in front of me a Michelob Ultra, okay? Now, growing up for me, my dad never said he loves me. He still never has, that's a whole other story. But how my dad told me love me was Fridays, he would sit down and he would have one beer with me. He would have one beer with me. And I didn't know what that was at the time, okay? Is this too, is this, is this too much? Okay. I didn't know what that was at the time, but my dad had a dad who never told him he loved him and beat the heck out of him. And so some of that came to me, pretty, pretty hardcore disciplinarian guy, but that one Friday, every Friday, he would have a beer with me. And so when I sat down with Tim as a spiritual father, I had a beer in front of me, and I knew if I would just take a drink of this beer, no, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying you should do this, okay? You're in Oklahoma. <laughs> Tim opens up his whole life because I will sit down and have a beer with him. Now, when I went there, I could not do that. There's no possible way there's no possible way that I would even step foot into a bar because of where we're at. It's 80, Detroit is 80% post-Christian, right? So like the, that's, they know what to do. And so today, Tim is a regular at our church. He engages every weekend online. He calls me pastor. He knows Jesus. And he's just started dating somebody else. Only only because I was willing. My first point is be willing. Be willing. It's Colossians 3.23. It's tattooed on my right wrist. This is my accountability. Colossians 3.23, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your whole heart. I think they have the NIV. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Some, some versions say be willing. Be willing. And so when we're talking about being willing, we're gonna be willing to listen to God. We're gonna be, listen, be willing to obey God. Even, even because we can't expect people to come meet us on our turf. Jesus didn't say, hey, at 10 o'clock, I'll be over here. You should come over. No, he was out and he was with and he was among. Matter of fact, some people didn't even recognize him. He looked so much like the people, he was unrecognizable. He was with people. And so then you have to be willing. You have to be willing to get uncomfortable. Sitting in a bar was uncomfortable for me because my only experience in a bar was college where I was an idiot with a capital I on that too, okay? So, the next guy's name is Noah. He's a young kid. Uh, he's 22. He's on my launch team. He helped us start the church, but not because he's a hardcore Christian, because he doesn't even know what that means. Noah is um, Noah's suicidal, and his parents are making him be a teacher. He doesn't want to be a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher, and his parents are making him go to um, Michigan State because his grandpa went to Michigan State and his dad went to Michigan State and his brother went to Michigan State and by God, Noah, you're going to Michigan State. 
So you better get your crap together and you better get your grades because you're going to Michigan State and you're going to be a teacher. That's Noah. And so I invite Noah to come to a small group and sit around a circle with me and a couple other guys and we go through the book Visioneering. It's Andy Stanley book. If you've not been through this book, you should give it a, you should give it a whirl. And at the end of every chapter of this book, Andy Stanley asks some really pointed questions. I've been through it so many times that my pages are falling apart. It's a big part of our journey to Detroit. And um, Noah one day calls me and says, hey, can we, can we talk? Can you meet me? I said, absolutely. And I meet Noah, and he says, hey, I don't, I don't want to be a teacher. And this, this book, is, it, he, it takes the story. Um, <clears throat> oh, credit, I can't think about it right now. But it, it tells the story of a young man who's take, he was essentially trying to do something great. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I can't come off the wall, right? And he says, I don't want to be a teacher. And I said, I know. <laughs> I know. And he says, well, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I, how do I get out of, of this? And I said, well, do you know Jesus? <laughs> like, this is where we start. Where are you at in your faith? Because it's all practical. Everybody loves to work in the practical we love to do, and we love to stay busy. And after walking with Noah, I got to sit down with him and his parents. His parents are the biggest part of our church right now. They're the biggest local part. They're, we have four people who are a great part of our church. I'm telling you about two of them right now. His family is all in at Redefined Church because I walk with their son. And their son now knows Jesus, and he's engaged to be married. But only because I came alongside of him, sat in a circle with him, and I showed him. It's just being an example. Second, second thing you need to do is be, be an example. Be an example. It's 1 Timothy 4.12. We might have the wrong slide here because autocorrect on my phone did like 4 dash or 1 dash 2 or something. I don't know. So yeah, 1 Corinthians 4.12 says, be an example in word, deed, purity, and faith, and charity. Don't let anybody, and it starts by saying, don't let anybody look down on you by your youth. Essentially your maturity, by where you are in your faith. And I think that's where we, where we go to as men, right? well, I've only known Jesus long, or I don't know all the scriptures, or I couldn't possibly do that because, well, I didn't go to Bible college. I'm not a pastor. You are. You are. You have experience that somebody that you know, somebody probably at your table, needs. They need it. And so then, be an example. Be an example. We say, be an example, even if you have to use words. You should see it. You should see it. And so then, Be salt. So be an example of what I mean. Have integrity, be salt, be light, stay positive, lead the way. It's Jesus' example. Leadership 101. Show me, don't tell me. I can't go into Detroit in any part of the city and tell anybody anything. They don't care. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. But I can show you, and 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 I can be willing to show you. I can be an example. So be willing, be an example. And the last one, I'm going to show you. This is my friend Dolores. Do you guys have Dolores' slide? This is my friend Dolores. This has nothing to do with race, by the way. So um, I believe Jesus came and died for the human race. Um, not one culture, one part of the world, but for all of us. And so that's all I have on that. Dolores is 67 years old now. I met her when she was 63. Dolores has been homeless since she was 31. Dolores, every day, every day for 18 months, Dolores would... Ask me for a dollar. Sorry, not every day. Once a week. I'd go check my P.O. box, believing that big check was coming that was going to get us through the year, right? And so at the post office, 
She said, hey, hey, baby, you got a dollar? Now, Dolores is not going to lie to you. She smokes a lot of weed, okay? She smells like weed. What are you going to use it for, Dolores? You know, I just need, I just need a little weed. No, I don't carry cash anyway, so. And so, I don't carry cash, but I get to know Dolores. She shares the same birthday as my oldest son, which is so unique. And, uh, goodness. About a year and a half in, I'm pissed, I'm pissed off at Dolores. I'm so sick of her asking me for a dollar. I'm so sick of her asking me for a dollar. And I don't know, there's nothing that tells me at this point, today's the day. But I go in and there she is. And by the way, in Detroit, they lock the post office with a chain at five o'clock. There's no place to stay inside unless it's an abandoned house. Okay, so she's just trying to stay warm. That's why she's at the post office. And, and so this day I walk in and Dolores is there. She says, hey, same. But she knows my name now. She's still asking for a freaking dollar. And I turn and, I, and she's a lot shorter. And I said, Dolores, I said, one day, one day I'm going to walk in here and you're going to tell me what you really need. And I walked away. And I checked my box and I got some nothing, okay? I got some nothing. And as I'm walking out, she's pretty cold and she's off to the side. And I'm just fixing to get into my truck. And she said, I need some shoes. I need some shoes. And I was like, wow, okay. So I turned around and I said, well, show me what's up. And I, and I look inside and the inside of her shoe is worn completely off. I couldn't find the picture of her shoes. By the way, she's the only one who asked me to take a picture of her. So that's the only reason that she's, she's on the screen. I know this visuals help, but you know, Tim and, Tim and Noah didn't say, hey, will you take my picture? So her shoes are worn off and she's walking on her socks. And so she's walking like this. And so when you see homeless people, you should probably check their feet first, okay? And so she's walking like this. And so she's got her stuff on. And I'm like, man, she's been homeless for a long time. And I feel like she's walking like that. For some reason in my dumb mind, she's walking like that because she's been homeless for who knows how long, right? And so she shows me her shoes and her shoes are worn through. And Detroit is like, the sun shines one out of every 10 days in Detroit statistically, okay? So it's rainy, it's cold, it's, it's depressing, okay? And so, um, that should have been a better joke. And so uh, I'm like, okay. I'm, and so her feet are constantly wet. And I say, hey, I'm gonna buy some new shoes. Can I meet you here tomorrow? Now, I don't go buy her like Yeezys. I just go get some shell, something that's durable. It's gonna make it through the winter in Detroit. And what I do uh, with Dolores is, is I bring her back these shoes. She meets me at five o'clock the next day. She's there waiting. She has the biggest smile on her face. She puts these new shoes on. And what happens is this, this crooked walk turns into straight legs. And the stress that was on her hips and her knees and her ankles was gone. And she starts dancing as a 66-year-old lady this time. She starts dancing. I don't have to say a word. Dolores says, oh, this is Jesus. Yes. Yes, it is. I didn't have to say a word. I have to say a word. I said, I said yeah. I said, speaking of, speaking of which, <laughs> where are you? Where are you with that? And she said, you know, she goes, I used to go to church. I prayed. I'm a Christian. I believe. All through all that, she goes, I know I need to get back into church. 
I need to get back into church. Good. Prayed with the Lord that day. She got a new pair of shoes. I took her old ones because she felt like giving them to me. And she had a new pair of shoes. All because of what? I was consistent. Be consistent. That's the third point, and that's how I'm wrapping up. Be consistent. Be consistent. Once a week, and it was 19 months actually. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. The Bible says, by this, Christ, by this, by this, people will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. It's all by the way you love one another. So we can listen and, and you know, create narratives and, and there can be agendas and reasons and, and all the stuff that we like to put in the way to say, I can't do that because. And well, that would be uncomfortable or that would be whatever, but be consistent, be consistent. To make a disciple, you must be a disciple. And you can't use not good enough as an example for not to love somebody else. Well, I just don't. Because that's, guys, you know, that's BS. Because everybody here, regardless of age or how you grew up or what you look like or where you're from, you're all in different places. And your faith is your faith. It's the difference between possessing it and owning it. If I possess it, I I can throw it out. I can throw some seed every now and again. But when I own it, I'm willing to walk with you. That's what Johnny's been doing with me. When I own it, I walk with you. I'm consistent because I'm willing, because I'm an example. Yeah, I got crap. I got crap. You think that that's not the first time I was at the bar when I went and met with Tim. I've got crap. We all have that stuff. And we use that stuff as an excuse to say, well, I just, I couldn't, I can't do it. Can't do it. I can't do it. And that's trash. And the difference between possession and ownership is this. If I let you borrow my truck, you've got my truck. You have it. You don't have the title, but you have it. You're in possession of it. And we assume that nine-tenths is a whole. And so because you have it, people could assume that you own it, and you don't. And this is how it works there, and a lot of the ways it works here. Well, my grandma prayed a prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm this, and it's not about Catholic. We use it all the time. Catholics are, it's devout faith, man. It's amazing. I'm this because my, she was this, he was this. And thank God for the women in our life who've prayed us in, who've prayed us in. I'm this or I'm that because of whatever. And so then, just because you drive my truck doesn't mean you own it. Just because your grandma prayed a prayer doesn't mean you are going to heaven. It's your faith. It's your eternity. It's how you walk. It's your walk. It's your walk. And so then the truth is this. It's super, super simple. It's up to us to reach the people in our life only, and we'll only do it if we are willing to be an example and to do it consistently. Consistently. Even when you feel like crap. Even when you have to fill out a permit. Even when every church in the city has told you no. Even when Detroit Parks and Recs has stole your idea for their mobile summer plan. Even when you say, hey, I'm playing a church over here, and they say, no, you're not. That's Bishop Van's people. You ain't doing anything over there without talking to Bishop Van. No, you just keep being willing, obedient. Keep being an example. Keep being consistent. And so wins in Detroit look so totally different than wins here. 
Because there I would have to tell you there's 4,000 or 400. I tell, you three, I tell you three stories and I tell you how long that took. I was just meeting with a missionary last night. He's like, man, it's gonna take you 10 to 15 years to gain some trust, to build some rapport. Are you willing to do that? Yeah. As long as this door is open, as long as God's providing for us to be there and change lives, absolutely. I would challenge you to do the same. Jump in the middle of somebody else's business because you have influence with them. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thanks for revealing this to me. Thanks for loving me enough to get me out of so much of my mess. Thank you for the times that I've had um, with Tim and Noah and Dolores, or even with Chad. Thank you so much for um, just allowing these stories to resonate in the hearts of, of men, Lord, that we would take some ownership in who we are, that we would put the eye back in our ownership, that it would be capital, that we would take responsibility, Lord, for the faith that we have. And I just ask you to help every man in here to move forward in that today. So if there's somebody here today that does not know Jesus, that's step one for you. And if you're with me right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, you would say, today's the day that I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life because I've been inconsistent, I've been roaming, I've been, all, I've been everywhere but where I need to be. I'm just gonna ask you to pray with me. It's a super prayer. We call it our believer's prayer. We just, we're just affirming our faith. For those of you who know Jesus, I'm just gonna ask you to reaffirm your faith with me. We're gonna pray this together. We're gonna pray it out loud. If this is you today and you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus, it's the greatest thing you'll ever do. So just let's, let's pray this together. Just repeat it to me. Say, Father God, I believe you sent your son to die in my place, to take my shame, to take my regret, to take my mistakes. Jesus, Thank you for coming, redeeming, loving me. Thank you for saving me. Come into my heart, renew me, restore me. And I thank you for being my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.